everybody right now in the room who is a father to go ahead and uh, stand up. If you're a father, go ahead and stand up. Or if uh, your wife is pregnant, you could stand up too. Justin Bracelin, they're pregnant if y'all didn't know that. Justin's not pregnant, but she is, and she could still sing, sing, out sing me any day of the week. That's awesome. Anyway, stay standing, men. Stay standing. Fathers, fathers, stand up. I want to encourage you with this verse. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Everybody say this with me. Act like men. Be strong. Do everything in love. Why don't everybody go ahead and give these fathers a hand, a big-time hand. You guys can go ahead and sit down. Today is Father's Day, and we want our fathers to, to feel honored. And I know that as a dad, I, uh, I continually understand God's love for me more and more and more. But the difference is I, I will fail my kids. I will mess up. Um, and, and I don't think I've said sorry more in the past, than in the past six years of my life. I'm constantly um, apologizing to my kids. But I, I think part of that is acting like a man. And um, there's statistics all over the place about uh, kids that grow up w without dads. My hope, and, and, I, and I know um, that there could be some people in the room that, that uh, had a bad dad, um, that didn't have a relationship with their dad. There's some people in the room that grew, grew up without a dad. Um, my hope and my prayer for us this week has been that God, our Father, will come down and reach down into our hearts this morning and show us how much he loves us. And one, how much he is the perfect father um, for the fatherless. And we, can, and we can know true fatherhood through him. And we can call him daddy. And at the same time, for all the fathers, he is the perfect example of how we should in patience and firmness, in justice and love, love our own kids. And, and so I just want to say thank you to your dads, and your job is huge. And so be encouraged to act like men, uh, but you haven't been left alone to do that, um, that God sent his own son as a father, sacrificed his own son, Jesus, so that, so that you could act like a man. So that's my encouragement to you. My, uh, my kids, part of my fatherly duty is they kind of require bedtime stories from me. I don't know if any other fathers have that experience, but... They, they oftentimes, as I'm putting them to bed, Daddy, tell me a story. Tell me a story. Now, I, I'm not a great storyteller, and I tell, tend to embellish any of the stories I do have. But one, one time, probably about three weeks ago or so, my, my son Cade, he says, Daddy, tell me a scary story. Right? So I come up with this rather frightening story with characters probably as large as this church. And about ten minutes into the story, my son is in tears, right? <laughs> he asked for it, and I delivered. So I learned I, I'm not going to tell those type of stories anymore. But one story they ask me to tell often is what they refer to as the white car story. The white car story. Now, understand, I, I embellish stories, and by the time this story was done, I had hippopotamuses, rhinoceroses, there were tornadoes, flying cows, I was busting out of my car with my, with my foot, jumping into water, end up, you know, 
water skiing on my, my bare feet. So the story gets a little embellished, but it actually came from a true story. Now, most of that story is not true, but it's embellished a little bit. And what had happened is, I was at my friend Rob's house. This is about three years ago. Many of you know Rob. He's the, the brother-in-law of Michael and Elena, and uh, I guess whatever he beat uh, Ron and Betty. You guys don't even claim him, but... but He's a good friend of mine. We were over there hanging out, and there was a bunch of us over there hanging out, and, and, a, and a pretty strong storm came up, right? This is a true story, okay? All right, so a pretty strong storm comes up. Tornado watch, flash flood, lightning, thunder, the whole bit. And there was a small break. I'm like, you know what? I better head out of here, head home. This is a pretty nasty storm. So I take off in my white car. It's why it's called the white car story. In my Saturn, and I begin to drive home. Now, not to embellish the story for more than it is, but I cannot see, all right? I mean, the rain is pouring down. I have terrible eyes as it is. And the rain is pouring down, so I'm driving the back way from Grimes to Ankeny. So I'm about halfway home, and about halfway home, all of a sudden, my car, run into water. And like that, my engine dies, and water begins to pour into my car. All right, now... I panic, right? You know, you see all these things on the news, these cars start floating away and people on top of it, you know, being rescued by helicopters, you know, so I panic because I'm like, what am I going to do, right? And here's the point of the story where I started embellishing a little bit to my kids. I will have you know that in the end, I made it, all was well, but my car never saw the road again. That was the end of the white car. But as I was thinking about that story and as I was telling my kids that story, I was oftentimes reminded of the story in Mark chapter 4 where we're going to be today. And it's the story of the disciples in the boat with Jesus and the water begins to pour in to the boat. And the disciples, what do they do? They begin to panic. They get frightened. They don't know what to do. And as I was talking to my wife about this passage, this passage in Mark chapter 4 says, oh, you know what, that's one of my favorite passages in the scripture. And the reason is because it reminds me how often when the storms and the trials and the difficulties of this life begin to flood in all around me, where my focus is to be, where my mind and my heart is to be set, not on the storms, not on the water rushing in, but on Jesus. And I think it is a great illustration that comes from this story. I don't think it's the only point of the story, but it's a great point in this story for us to walk away with. That when the difficulties, the trials and the tribulations come, and they will come, right? Anybody who's lived and walked a life of faith understands they will come. And when they do, the question is, do we dwell on the storms, the water coming in all around us, or do we look upon Jesus? And so I want us to keep that kind of in the back of our minds as we read through this passage at the end of Mark. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. We're going to be in Mark chapter 4. And there's only seven verses. Here they are, starting in verse 35. Mark 4, 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side, leaving the crowd behind, They took him along, just as he was in the boat. There was also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. 
Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Let's start our time in prayer. God, we, we thank you for this story. The story of the disciples, the story of the storm, and the story of your power. God, God help us as we talk about and discover this story and who you are this morning. God, that we'd apply it to our life. God, that we wouldn't just walk away hearing a story about you and do nothing, but we'd see this story of you and your power. God, it would be, it'd be change. It'd change how we live. It'd change our, our level of faith and understanding of who you are. Scott, we ask that you would speak this morning out of Mark chapter 4. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you're a note taker, there's three points I want to make. Okay, three points. The first one is real story. The second one is real God. And the third one is real response. Okay, I saw about one pen move there. It's great. Real story, real God, real response. The first one is a real story. And what we notice here in the first couple of verses, verses 35 and 36, says that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. In these seven verses, we see a lot of details packed into this passage. Now, as you read it, if you're like me and you see these details, you wonder, how do they fit into the story? You know, what is the point of them? Look, look at some of these details. The first one is that we see it was evening. Okay, this happened in the evening. Nick, last week, started us off in uh, Mark chapter 4, and you understand that Jesus has now gone through a long day of ministry, right? It's the only time we see Jesus sleeping in all of Scripture. Here he is, a long day. People have been following him. He's been hanging out. He's been uh, teaching to the crowds. I'm sure he's pretty exhausted, but it happens in the evening. The second thing we see is he got into the boat just as he was. What does that mean? Just as he was. Go back to last week, Nick, beginning of chapter 4. What does Jesus do? As he addresses the crowd, he gets in that boat, right? He gets in the boat, pushes out to sea a little bit, and begins to teaching, begins teaching people. And what Mark is saying here is that now Jesus says, let's go to the other side. He hops in the other boat. They head off to the other side. In other words, he didn't go back to land. He didn't change his clothes. He didn't get anything else. He just, as he was, heads over to the other side. Third thing we see is there are a whole bunch of little boats around him, right? One thing we know about Jesus as we look through the Gospels, you see that people were following all the time, right? He had crowds following him, going after him all the time. We see also that he went to sleep on a cushion. And then verse 37, we see he was in the stern. Now, I'm, I'm a land lover, so, but for you land lovers like me, in the stern means the back of the boat, okay, if you didn't know that. So he's in, in sleep in the back of the boat on a cushion. Okay, quite a few details going on in this story. Now, reality of it, these details don't really do a whole lot for the story, right? They don't push the story along. They don't add 
to the story. But there are details that are there. Now, here's the significance of it. There's a uh, Cambridge historical, historical scholar, and what she said, she goes, you know, you know, when you first, if you look back and you read this story, you'd think it was a legend, if not for the details. So the details don't really add to the story. They really don't help draw you in and capture about what's to happen, okay? But what they do is they help us understand that this isn't some legend. See, in the day when Mark is writing, no other writers before Mark when dealing with legends or mythology, ever added any detail that, like this that Mark had done. Nor after the time of Mark did any writers add any kind of detail like that to the story. It wasn't until recent history where people writing fiction added this sort of detail. And so what this scholar from Cambridge is saying, he says, no writer did that in the day. See, there is significance in the fact that there is detail. It tells us that this was a real story, a real event, a real time, and a real place in history. This story was marked by small details because it was simply, as Nick told us back in the first week, it was somebody just recalling what had happened. So this is a story that, as Nick, Nick told us that first week, it's Peter just simply telling Mark, hey, here's what happened. Here's the eyewitness account of me hanging out with Jesus. And that's what's happening in this story. Is there's details of the story are there, not, not because they add anything to the story, but it's just Peter simply saying, you know what, this happened, you know, there was a bunch of boats there, and then, you know what, you didn't even go back to shore, right? You can kind of hear him telling the story just as he remembered it. The story of Jesus here in Mark chapter 4. So why is this important? I think the significance of why this is important is because many times in our society, people want to do what? They want to take Scripture. They want to take the points of Scripture that they like and use it. Right? They'll, they'll hey, you know what? I like this portion of the Bible. I'm going to take it and I'm going to use it. Many people do the same thing with Jesus. You know what? Jesus is a great teacher. I like his teaching over here. You know, I'm, not, I'm not so much sure about this, you know, or, or this miracle. I don't know if that applies. But people in the world today will take what they like about the Bible or take what they like about Jesus and the stories of Jesus, and they'll call them, hey, you know what? Jesus is a good teacher. Jesus said a lot of good things. I like this, but, you know, there's some other teachers, and I like this. Here's the problem with that. Is if you take the stories out of Scripture and a story like this, and we say, you know what, this is a real story in a real time, in a real place, in the real course of history. And we can't simply walk away from it, can we? We see stories like the resurrection, a real story in a, in a real time, in a real place. And we can't simply just walk away from it. See, the stories, they really happened where if they didn't, you know what, I can go in, I can do whatever I want, I can live any kind of life I want to. But if these stories happened, as we believe they happened, then we have to read it. Then we have to respond to it. Then it's true, and it should change the way in which we live our lives. Is that not true? So I think one of the great points of this story is that it really happened. That it's a real, a real story. 
And as we're going to discover here in a little bit as we move on, that it's more than just a story of, you know what, when storms come in my life, I need to look to Jesus. But it's also a story of Jesus displaying that he is God. One of the, maybe the greatest aspect and the greatest point of this story is Jesus, Mark, relaying through Peter that Jesus is God. And so if this story is a real story, and if this story displays that Jesus is God, man, when you read the words of Jesus, it ought to change how you act. It ought to change how we react to a story like this, shouldn't it? Right? It should. It is a real story. The second thing we want to notice is that we've got a real God. Verse 37 says this, A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Here's the setting. Justin, if you could throw this picture up here. Here's the setting of what's going on. This story is taking place on the Sea of Galilee. Okay? They are on the Sea of Galilee. Now, if in studying, you will find that the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. Okay? Now, do you notice what's off in the distance? Is that picture clear enough to see that there's a mountain off in the distance? So Mount Hermon is off in the distance. Mount Hermon is 9,200 feet in the air. Okay, so from Mount Hermon off in the distance to the Sea of Galilee, you have nearly a 10,000 feet difference. Okay, now, I'm not a weatherman, but what you will find when you've got a mountain, almost 10,000 feet in the high, in the air, to a lake, a sea that is under sea level, is you're going to find there's going to be a drastic change in temperature, right? There's going to be a drastic change in climate. There's going to be a drastic change in the weather. And so what happened many times, as with any place where you have the mountain and the sea like this, is there are these squalls and these storms that come up often. So rolling over the mountain, all of a sudden the temperature begins to change, Climate begins to change, and what wasn't there before now is there, and you have storms like this in the Sea of Galilee. So this wasn't an uncommon occurrence. But what was uncommon was the type of storm that comes up. The words used to describe this storm were the same words you would use to describe the type of winds in a hurricane. Okay, So the type of storm that you have here is more like a hurricane than some little storm like I experienced over my friend's Rob at my friend Rob's house. This is a hurricane type storm. The winds, the waves, the rain, the storms are all crashing around the disciples and Jesus. And they go to Jesus and here's what they say. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, "Teacher, don't you care if we drown?" Well, what they're saying here, they're not saying, Jesus, you know what, we might die. What they are saying is, Jesus, we are dying. We are dying. Jesus, don't you care? Here we are. We are drowning. We are dying. And I love Jesus' response. He got up, rebuked the wind, 
and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Now, I'm not a Harry Potter fan, never read the book, never seen the movie, but this isn't some little Harry Potter type magic trick that Jesus does, right? He doesn't conjure up some magic, wave his wand around, and all of a sudden, boom, it changes, right? Jesus doesn't reach out and start calling to some higher power, saying, come down, take care, it's in the name of whoever, to get rid of the waves and the wind and the storm. He simply rebukes it. He got up, rebuked the wind and the waves. And the word there for rebuke is the same word that's used several times throughout the Gospels when Jesus is rebuking a demon. You're going to see it again in Mark chapter 5. First thing he does in Mark 5 is he rebukes a demon. Demons in that case. But it's the same word there. And so Jesus, speaking to this storm as if it's a person or a demon or some other being, he gets up and he rebukes it. And I, I've read in some commentaries, some scholars think, you know what, this storm could have easily been some demonic storm, right? Easily could have been that. And so Jesus gets up and he speaks and here's what he says to it. Quiet, be still. And what that was, the words there were basically, be quiet and stay quiet, right? Like I'm talking to my son Cade. Be quiet, stay quiet. I can usually get Cade to listen to the first part, be quiet, but he doesn't stay quiet. Jesus simply says to this storm, be quiet and stay quiet. The storm listens. It's quiet. It ends. Much like you would speaking to a child. But here's what happened. Here's the significance. He says, then the wind died down. I like that. The wind dies down. The storm ends, right? That could have been just a coincidence, maybe. Be far-fetched to think that's a coincidence. But Jesus speaks, the storm ends, the wind ends. But what else happens? It says, it is a completely calm. And the word there and the phrasing in the original text says, it is a dead calm. You ever experienced that? We go up to Cronus Often, and I remember times early in the morning going up on the Lake Coronas, and there, wouldn't, there was no boats on the lake. It was a calm day, and you look across, and it's almost like glass, right? Have you ever experienced that, been on a lake, sea, somewhere else? And the, it's just, it's like glass. That's what he's saying here. It is a dead calm. It is completely calm. I love that. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, the wind and the storm ends. Jesus says, done, end. But he also commands the waves, end. And can you imagine that type, a hurricane going on, and just like that, the waves end. To me, that's pretty incredible. I get in the bathtub and it takes five minutes for the thing to stop going back and forth. But Jesus, in a word, storm ends, the waves end just like that ancient cultures and many cultures believe that the only one who can have power over the storms and the wind and the waves was god or some god that only god could have power over the seas you believe that even today right i mean it doesn't take us we hear stories often of people who are out storm hits no longer around 
crash, they were lost at sea. Heck, even the newest Disney movie on release, Frozen, right? In Frozen, one of the opening scenes there, storm rises up, engulfs the boat, down goes the boat. King and queen die. We know the power of the sea. It's ingrained in our mind. And in ancient cultures, they knew and believed that the only one to have power over the sea was God himself. Even the nation of Israel and the Jews themselves believed that the only one who could have power over the sea was God. I want to read to you in uh, Psalm 2107. But understand that, that in this culture, the Jews, the nation of Israel, believed that, that God and God alone had power over the sea. In fact, if you would read in the Apocrypha, there's a section in the Apocrypha in 2 Maccabees. In 2 Maccabees, there's a story of Antiochus Epiphany. And Antiochus Epiphany is telling the Jewish rabbis and leaders of the day. Now, understand in, in the Maccabees here, what's going on is the time between after the Old Testament, before the New Testament comes into play, okay, is that time. Well, Antiochus Epiphany is talking, and he's saying, you know what, I can stop the, the storms. I can stop the waves. And the Jewish leaders and the rabbis of the day said, no, this is blasphemy. You are claiming to be God. Making that kind of claim that you can stop the wind and the waves, you're claiming to be God. This is what he was doing. He was claiming to be God. And they said, no, that's blasphemy. The only one with the power over the wind and the waves is God himself. And I want to read here out of, out of Psalm 107. And what I love about Psalm 107 is in David's writing here, I think that, that David is giving us a picture of what's taking place in Mark 4. And I'm going to have, Justin, can you throw Psalm 107 up there? Psalm 107. Here's what it is. Starting in verse 23, and listen to this, listen to this, and I'll have the words up there. But tell me if this doesn't sound like what's going on in Mark chapter 4. Psalm 107, starting verse 23, it says, Others went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, they, their courage melted away. Does this not sound like the disciples? They, uh, they reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wits' end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to the desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds of men. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. The Jews knew. David himself knew, almost alluding to the story in Mark, that the only one with power over the seas, with power over the wind, with power over the waves, was God himself. And Jesus here, he isn't calling on some higher power because he is the higher power. And Jesus is not asking someone who has the power to come down because he is the power himself. See, anyone who has power in this world, or anyone who ever has had power in this world, it's on loan from him, isn't it? Because there's only God who has the power to do this kind of work. And to me, I think one of the main purposes 
and focuses of this story is that Mark is pointing us to, Peter, through Mark, pointing us to the fact that Jesus displaying he is God. A real story, a real God. And if this story is real, and we've got a, a real God, what I see from the disciples is probably a real response. See, most of the times we look at the disciples, if you're like me, you look at the disciples and you're like, these guys are a bunch of idiots. All right, don't you do that all the time? I'm like, how can you not see that? You guys are a bunch of idiots. But on this story, I think it's a little different. See, in this story, as I look, and maybe it's because I had water flooding in my white car, I don't know, but in this story, I can relate to these guys a little more. The storms, whether literal or whether the storms we face in life all around us, man, can't, can't we feel like the disciples do? Can't we wonder, God, as I'm going through this trial and this tribulation and this difficult time, where are you? God, don't you even care? That, that's the response from the disciples. Are you really just going to sit here and let us drown? Jesus in the boat. Yeah, God, don't you even care that I'm going through this? Don't you even care this is happening to me? I think that's a real response, isn't it? I think anyone who's tried to live a life of faith, anyone who's tried to follow Jesus, man, difficulties, trials, tribulations come, and we ask that question. Man, I'm like that. Why? Why is this happening? Why am I going through this? Don't you love me? I think it's a real response when trials and tribulations hit. I'm not saying it should be our response, but I'm saying if you're like me, hopefully you're not, but if you're like me, I've asked these questions. God, why am I going through this? Now, I, I would say that God does not cause the storms in our life. I would definitely say that God allows us to go through the storms in our life. And this story, and some might even say that sometimes God will lead us through the storms. I mean, Jesus was the one that, that hopped in the boat said, hey, let's head over to the other side. Let's get in the boat. Let's go over there. Now, he didn't cause the storm, but perhaps he was leading the disciples through it to show them something about himself. In this story, to reveal that he was God himself. In this story, to reveal to them that don't look at the storms, look at me. So it's not that God causes the storms, but God definitely, definitely will allow us to go through them. And sometimes may even lead us through them. And, and I would say, and I, I would think most of you would agree, that the times in our life where God has deepened our faith more than any other are the storms, are the trials, are the tribulations, are the difficult times in our lives. I can look back on my own life and the most difficult struggles. I was talking about this with my wife last night and asked each other the question, you know, what, what are the most difficult times in life? And we were both honest and open, that's good in a marriage, but we were talking about our difficulties and those times in life. And you know what? That God has revealed more in those times in life than any other. And sometimes may even say, you know, God was leading me 
through that storm. Whatever that storm may be. Whatever those trials and the tribulations were. God leading me through the storms. And oftentimes doing the same with you. Because it's in the midst of the storms. When our faith begins to grow. When we see his grace and his mercy revealed. When we become reliant and dependent on him more than any other time. In the midst of the storm. Storms uh, may catch us off guard, but they don't catch God off guard, do they? He knows. And sometimes may even lead us through them. Because he wants us to be reliant and dependent on him. As I... I'm only 36, but as I'm getting older, I begin to, and I don't know if you're like me, but I begin to become a lot more self-sufficient, right? We've been through life, we've gone through these experiences, and now as we've gone through these experiences, hey, you know what, I know how to handle this, I know how to do this, I've been through it. And so I become more, much more self-sufficient. And I've said this before, but many of you may share the same sentiment. Our, our favorite verse in the Bible is, you know, God helps those who help themselves. Well, we know that's not a verse, right? God does not help those who help themselves. God helps those who rely on him. Not those who are self-sufficient, but that hit their knees and cry out to them, cry out to him for help. That's what God wants. And the reason he takes us through these storms and these difficult times is because he wants us to rely on him, not be self-sufficient, but with everything, a total dependence upon him. That he would become the king in our life. That we would not rule our own life, but that he would be the ruler of our life. That we would not be self-sufficient, that we would be so dependent upon him for everything. We couldn't help but hit our knees. God, help me in this time. And he leads us through those storms, so we will do it. Listen to this quote. This is a quote by Charles Spurgeon. He says, God is too wise to err, and he is too good to be unkind. So leave off doubting and begin to trust him. In doing so, you will put a crown on his head. Let me read that one more time. God is too wise to err, And he is too good to be unkind. So leave off doubting and begin to trust him. In doing so, you will put a crown on his head. See, when we begin, when we we stop worrying and we begin to trust him, you know what we're telling him? God, you are the ruler of my life. You are the king of my life. So may we quit worrying. And when the storms and the trials and the tribulations come upon us, may we look to him. May we de- be dependent upon him. There's two more things I want us to notice. You'll see it in verse 40 here. He says to his disciples, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? See, faith is not some mysterious thing. Faith is not something that we do or we do not have. Faith, as Jesus is telling his disciples here, faith is something we exercise. Okay? And what he's telling his disciples is, I've given you all this evidence. I've displayed here, even in the boat, that I am God. 
Uh, You've seen my miracles. You've heard my teaching. Haven't I given you enough evidence that you'd have faith? And we look at our own lives. We read through scriptures. We hear the stories. Hasn't he given us enough evidence that when the storms and the trials and the tribulations hit, we'd look to him and not dwell on the storm? Their response to that is this. Who is this? Who is this? Who is this? I think it's fascinating. Were they scared of the storm? Right? God, we're going to die. We are going to die. But you know, after Jesus does this, they are even more terrified. And rightfully so. See, we can fear the storms in life, but we should be fearing him more, right? A healthy fear of God is not a bad thing. And the difference between fearing the storm and fearing him is the storm doesn't love us. But Jesus, he does love us. And so when the storms and the trials and the difficult times of life hit, man, may we not dwell and look upon the storms, but may we look upon him. Nick and the band are going to come back up here, and we're going to have a time. We're going to continue to worship. We're going to look to the bread and the juice, the bread representing his body broken, the juice representing his blood that was spilled that covered our sins. But I want to end with this. There's a story, and I think the secret to the meaning of this passage that Mark is trying to get at is a story in the Old Testament. And it's a story you're pretty familiar with, I would think. It's the story of Jonah. Has anybody heard the story of Jonah? Right? Gets swallowed by that big fish. Well, in Jonah chapter 1, we see this story of what happens to Jonah. In Mark chapter 4, we read this story. And if you compare the two stories, they are a whole lot alike. Listen, Listen to some of these things. Now, first of all, we recognize the obvious. They were both in the sea on a boat. Both of their boats are overtaken by a storm. And if you would read the story in Jonah chapter 1 and the story in Mark chapter 4, the stories are almost identical. They describe the, the, how, uh, the description of the storm is almost identical. We notice Jonah and Jesus both asleep during the storm. In both stories, the sailors come to the sleeper, Jonah and Jesus. And they say, you know what? We're going to die. The storm is going to overtake us. We are going to perish. And the same word in the Greek is used to describe their panic. And then in the next portion, we see that a miraculous event take place and everyone lives. And the sea is calm and the waves are calm. And in both cases, the sailors, those on board, were more terrified after the storm and the seas and the waves were calmed because they had seen the power of God at hand. Now, we know there's probably one difference in the story, right? What does Jonah do so it ends? He throws himself into the water or he tells the sailors, throw me in and you all will live. He sacrifices himself right? You will live if you throw me in. But as we sit back and we look at the story in Mark chapter 4 and we look at the story of Jesus, 
And if you'd read Matthew chapter 12, you would see that Jesus calls himself the true Jonah. See, the stories continue to be alike, continue to be similar. Because Jesus threw himself into that ultimate storm for you. So that you could live, so that you didn't have to perish. Jesus threw himself into that ultimate storm. Here's the reality. There is only one storm that could ever sink you. There is only one storm that could ever end you. That's your own sin. That is your own wrongdoing. And Jesus, Jesus, the true Jonah, threw himself into that storm for you. Jesus himself went to the cross, died on the cross. He took that storm for you. And I think for us, as we look at the storms of our own life, we look and we see that Jesus, in the most difficult storm ever, didn't give up, did not abandon us. What comfort, right? That in that storm... Jesus threw himself in and did not abandon us. And in the same way, as we face the difficulties, the storms, and the trials, and the tribulations in our life, isn't there great peace that, that knowing that in that greatest storm, Jesus did not abandon us. Jesus did not leave us. So the storms we face, we can know that he won't leave us. He won't forsake us. He won't leave us in that storm alone. It may seem that way. It may be difficult. But knowing that Jesus threw himself into that storm, what an awesome thing. He would never leave me, never forsake me. The storms will come. We know they will. Anyone who's lived a life of faith, they will come. And that we would take heart knowing that Jesus, in the greatest storm of all, threw himself in for me for you. And so as we continue in worship, let's remember that. Let's think on what this, this thing that Jesus has done. Given his life, his body broken, his blood shed for me, for you. Let's pray. God, what an act that your son has done for us. What a thing that he has done. Throwing himself into the storm. Now, what peace we have now that Jesus didn't abandon us in that greatest storm. And this morning, we want to remember and we want to think upon that act. We want to think about, about him going to the cross, him taking that, that sin and that wrongdoing that we did and going to that storm for us. We thank you for Jesus. Let us worship him and what he has done for us this morning. It's in his name we pray.
pray together. God, we thank you. We thank you for the true Jonah who threw himself into the ultimate storm for us. God, may that be real to us. For those that don't know the forgiving power, the grace and mercy of what you have shown us on the cross, God, may we realize that. May we realize that the only storm in our life is that sin, those trespasses, those wrongdoings. And Jesus has endured that storm for us. May we look to him. May we turn to him. May the, today be the day of salvation for us. God, for us that pursue Jesus and live a life of faith, God, we know, we know there will be storms. We know there will be difficulties. God, may we look to you. May we, may we have been shown and have this faith. May we exercise this faith to look to you through the storms. We ask that you would lead and you would guide us as we leave this place. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.